Hey, fellow tennis nerds, welcome to another podcast. This time I'm joined by Dennis Timar, uh, an ex-semi-pro, a huge tennis enthusiast and tennis nerd. He is really into tennis, he follows the tours. And today we're going to talk about the upcoming US Open, some news. We're going to talk about rackets, strings, uh, shoes and whatnot. So um, it's fun to be joined by Dennis. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Dennis. Uh, maybe you can give a brief introduction of yourself. Yeah, hi, uh, Giannis, and uh, thank you for um, coming up with this. I mean, it's uh, it's uh, really fascinating, and as you were saying, I've uh, uh, I've been a tennis enthusiast, and 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 even you know before this term came up to existence, uh, I was a tennis nerd myself. Uh, used to work in uh, in London in in tennis and in, in the prestigious uh, Wigmore Sports, and then I became. Um, brand manager for head back home i'm i'm hungarian i'm from budapest and then uh you know tennis just just let up uh where i am now and and now i'm i'm following it from the united kingdom uh we live here and everything about this uh this this you know new wave of of talking about tennis and podcasts it's just great to be here and and hopefully this this can be a habit it's always fun to talk tennis. We we know that both of us, and we we do follow. I think you follow it even more closely than I do. I tend to keep my uh, face kind of towards the the rackets and the strings and the stuff that I, I work on a daily basis. I also try to follow the tournaments as well. We had a pretty impressive and surprising result. Borna Choric won the Masters in Cincinnati. Was pretty much from out of the blue. I would say. I, I mean, I know he's a very good player, but he's been struggling so much with injuries. Poor guy, he's been one of those players that you know is very talented, but he, he struggles. Um, he did beat Rafa on the way, third time. So that says something about his skill. Uh, did you watch some of his matches? Yeah, I think I think he's um, he's playing really well. And and um, Zverev was just uh, no, sorry, Tsitsipas was saying. Now uh, we, we were talking about Zverev. So Tsitsipas was saying that he he thinks that he's he's a sort of an improved uh, Medvedev. Which because he's hitting harder. I, I've been, you know, I, I was I was always um, pretty surprised on on charge that that he couldn't actually become top ten because he was really solid. Although when you when you look at his game, he is he he cannot volley. He cannot buy a volley, which which is just so crazy to see. He has a big serve. You know, he moves unbelievably well like mm -hmm. you know he just covers the court and 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 obviously he's a great player um and and you know he was plagued by injuries and everything so so yeah i'm i'm, I'm really happy for him but i didn't you feel without with with cincinnati that it was a bit like the paris masters that you know it's it's the sort of the calm before the storm not everyone is like putting 100 percent in rude lost who catch lost you know all the guys who, who did well in Montreal. Um, they just uh, and and obviously uh, Carreño Busta, who's who's also a great player, and and he lost in the first round as well. So uh, it has been an interesting uh, tournament, Cincinnati. Yeah, I think the I don't know if there's some kind of fatigue after playing the previous Masters because they're quite tied together, or if they're just like now preparing for the for the U.S. Open and they're not gonna go full on full blast in this tournament uh there's usually like you said the paris thing where you have a lot of unexpected results and i think this this one is kind of known for that although i know federer won many times i think right seven times or something like that um but yeah you, you it's, it's not shocking to have a surprise winner especially when you saw how the draw kind of went after a few matches uh medvedev i thought would would maybe beat Tsitsipas, but Tsitsipas was playing well 
I think this is the first time he's played well in a in quite a while from what I've seen. Uh, so that was impressive. Um, when it comes to rackets, it's been a lot of talk about Borna Choric and his uh, reduction of, of weight. So he went from 330. I, I know Jim Courier talked about this. He went for 330 to 315. I think he ended up on 320 in the end. And his serve speed has increased dramatically. I don't know if it's the racket or his shoulder is now fine. Maybe he's been struggling with shoulder pain. But he had the shoulder surgery in 21 May 2021. And then how he's been just ramping up his service speed in this tournament was average first serve of 126 miles per hour, which is kind of his his best that I've seen. So maybe the lighter racket helps to to get more more speed on the ball. I don't see him as a, a huge striker. I, I mean, I think his movement and his backhand is his two kind of main weapons. Uh, his like you said, his volleys are not super impressive to be honest. Uh, but his movement and his backhand. He can do pretty much whatever he wants with that. The forehand for an ATP pro of that caliber is not a huge weapon, in my opinion, but but definitely enough in this case, it looks like. So um, we'll see what he does from here. What do you, what do you think of his... his yeah, future? I mean, no, it's just uh, what I was thinking that, you know, most of these uh, Croatian, Serbian guys, um, they, they do learn. So they have immaculate technique. So if you look at like Novak or, or you look at, look at Marin Cilic, their backhands are unbelievable. I mean, that's that's their biggest weapon. Like, obviously, Cilic has natural power, and and the guy is just like you know he's he's a bummer. Mm-hmm. But but you know, it, like that's that's George's biggest strength as well. I don't see him as a contender for the U.S. I I don't really think he can do more than like a couple of rounds. But you know what? I I I, I like the kid. I, I think he's he's um, he's a great player. I wish him all the best, and and I hope that he will do well in the U.S. Yeah, I think so too. I think he's, he seems like a nice guy. He seems has is uh, pretty grounded, has his feet on the ground and and not too much of an ego, uh, which I think is good to see. And uh, it's nice to have him back. You know, adds a bit of spice always to have some more players that can challenge, maybe beat some top players. So that's interesting. But yeah, I don't see him go and, and win the US Open or, or even be a serious threat. But uh, definitely, uh, you know, the best results of his career, and hopefully can build some more of, of that. From, from this uh, great week. Uh, on the women's side, I didn't follow as much this, this week. Uh, Caroline Garcia, she won, uh, which is her best season ever, I think. And yeah. she is a very good player, obviously. And, and the women's tour now, it seems to be kind of up in, uh, in like, you know, the air. You don't know who's going to win. Like Naomi Osaka, she's not playing or not playing well. Uh, Serena is on her last legs, literally. She's not going to play after the US Open, it seems like. Um, we have... Uh, Sviontek, she's not playing well on the hard courts, doesn't like the tennis balls. She complains that they were too light. Interesting, interesting. Uh, What I think about um, Garcia is that I always rated her. Um, I think think Garcia has... Um, like she, she is a great doubles player. You know, she she won several slams uh, with uh, with Mladenovic. Sorry. And um, and she, I think they they even won the Olympics together. So they are a great pairing. And and because of that, you know, she has a she has a massive serve. She she is great at the net. And um, the biggest threat what I've seen was Sabalenka. Sabalenka was lights out for the second set. She was like literally making winners from all over the court. Yeah, I mean, Shiontek was was great during the whole season. Um, and if you look at it, like she got beaten. Uh, by Keys, who was who was again playing lights out, and before that, Haddad Maya, who also played lights out. So I wouldn't I wouldn't count out Shontek for for the U.S. I think um, she she has a solid chance. 
Um, obviously, we have to talk about Raducanu. You know, that was a miracle last year, wasn't it? It, it, it was just unreal what she did. But I would still give it to Shiontek that I think she she has been there. She has she had an unbelievable season so far. So she lost like four times, I think, altogether, which is absolutely insane. So how I see it is that yeah, it will be it will be possibly the last for Serena. You know, she she has been an unbelievable pioneer for our sport and that's that's great you you mentioned it in your in your youtube video is that like the hype train of of raducano is is uh, is pretty mind-blowing and and i i live in the uk and i see the pressure unbelievable the pressure what what the media here in the uk does is just unbearable uh the only thing what i would do if i you know i don't think she will she will hear this but she should settle she should she should have a long-term coach who she trusts and and you know just just trust the process and obviously Halep uh she she won Montreal and she she played really well and obviously the Muratoglu um connection is now now really coming off so uh it seems like he's actually yeah. doing something this uh <laughs> Muratoglu because a lot of players or people in general like they don't really like him I mean he's a kind of a show off in many ways and he's very good at marketing himself, uh, but he seems to actually work well with certain players and get the results, uh, whether whatever he does, you know. But but seems to work for Halep for sure. And yeah. Serena, yes, yeah. of course, it worked. I have mixed feelings about him. Uh, I think um, actually what he does on Instagram and and you know LinkedIn and all those short videos are actually quite helpful for some players. But his ideas about like shortening the tennis games and, you know, when he came up uh, during lockdown with with that uh, crazy format, like, you know, calling the tennis players like, I don't know, Tsitsipas was the great god and all that. And I think it's just a bit too much. I'm up for change, but I don't really think tennis should be changed. Like who like we've been following tennis since we were kids. Mm-hmm. And for us to to have like let serves uh, given and and that's just that's just insane. Like don't don't touch tennis. I know no maybe it's not that user friendly for four and a half hours, but for tennis lovers it is. So you know. Yeah, and also I think anything that builds enough drama and has a story arc has potential to stay and and be interesting for pretty much anyone. People listen to podcasts for three and a half hours episodes and that's kind of uh, a thing that surprised a lot of people you know not everyone wants very bite-sized snippets or hyper action or tiktok style length on everything so i think there is room for a sport that has potential of longer matches and and the the longest matches they drive the most audience because they have drama to them i think that those matches that are not interesting in tennis are the like the straight sets easy wins they are not very interesting or you know when you go down in level ATP 250s and, and challengers, maybe not everyone watches, but if you have a, you know, a Grand Slam five-setter, I think it creates huge drama. So I, I would not change too much of the sport. I think you can work with the players, you can work doing more marketing, you can change the tour a bit, maybe even out price money. There are a lot of things you can do before you start mixing with the rules and the concept of tennis. Uh, we, we actually, we, you mentioned in your notes before we started talking here, is, which is interesting, is that they're doing this coaching trial I asked people on YouTube, what do you think of the coaching? You know, now they can actually do some on-court um, coaching. And obviously you, you wrote that Sitsipas finally benefits from it, which I think is interesting. Uh, I, I know that there's, I mean, I've been sitting next to Apostolos a few times and talked to him and and there's a lot of a lot of talk uh, going on, but also from other player benches. I, you know, I think 
there's a lot of encouragement, but there's also people that can help themselves or they just will shout out something. And in this case, I think the whole uh, tour is, is pretty much familiar with the Sitsipas uh, coaching. So, um, and now he's allowed. So I was a bit surprised because I didn't think about it. I saw, uh, yeah. I saw them filming him a lot during the, um, the TV presentation of, of the Cincinnati Masters. And he was, yeah, he was talking all the time, right? So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm curious what you think about this coaching. Yeah, I, I'm, I, again, again, um, there are certain rules which, which are fine. And, and I think what I can say is that like, um, most of us have read uh, Agassiz's book, Open. Um, and and it, it starts off that he actually hates tennis, but that's not that's not the main main point because obviously he loves tennis. Uh, but the main main thing, what what I really liked in that book is that he he just says that you're you're the loneliest person on earth on a tennis court. And you know I've I've been playing tennis since I was four, and obviously uh, you know we we all we all know the the effects of of like getting out there trying to figure it out by yourself. And, and that's great. And, and, you know, most of the guys, I, I mean, obviously I, I read Taylor Fritz's comments that he, he absolutely despises this, uh, this coaching uh, thing. And, and, you know, now it sort of gives Nick a, another um, uh, tool to, to talk to his team without being like fine or anything. Look, I think, I think Tsitsipas is, is an unbelievable player. I think, I think he, what, what he brings to the sport is, is in many ways great, but you know, in another way, he, he acts like a kid sometimes. His father is like, it's it's not a good uh, example for for the kids to to see that. Yeah, your your father can stay on the court. He can tell you what to do, and then you're just ex- executing it. And like you had you had um, a game plan before the match. Just execute that one. If it doesn't work, just change it. But you should come up with that idea. I know that the ladies tour had this coaching on court coaching. I remember it was a few years ago. I don't know if, if I remember it correctly, but a coach could actually go down and talk to the players while they were um, after a set. Yep. So so they could actually call it sort of a timeout. And I think that is a little bit better. Um, if, if, if anything has to be done, like after a set, okay, talk to your coach or something like that. Cause if, if there's, um, like a rain delay, you can actually do that. You can talk to your coaches. I'm not a huge fan, but I, I, I'm still trying to get my head around it if it works or, or what was the whole deal is we've seen Titi Pasta in Mallorca and has one of the biggest serves even if his his service is such a weird motion to be fair and he uses his blades really well and he uses uh 4g right yeah he's, he's going in between 4g and 4g and natural gut i think he's every other tournament he's changing a bit elbow uh problems wants to get a little bit more power and that that's the thing that keeps going back and forth yeah i've helped his brother a bit with the string setups and stuff you know, giving some advice, but obviously he's playing a little bit on a lower level than than Stefanos. So yeah, they're, they're trying, seeing what they can change. Obviously, they don't want to change their rackets. They they think that they should stick with them, but but that's what he's trying. And I think the the elbow is bothering a lot of lot more pro players than we would we would know because there are a lot of players there on painkillers and whatnot. Regarding the coaching, I I think if if it's for the benefit of the game where you bring more audience, it becomes more exciting to watch the coach or listen to the coach if they mic them or something. Maybe there's a benefit to do that like in between sets, like you said. But to have someone from the stands just calling out instructions or giving feedback or you step in or do this, I I think it's it's not 
tennis anymore in the way it should be. Tennis should be an individual sport. I, I'm an old chess player. So for me, it's like you should, you should solve the problem there yourself. If you can't solve the problem, that, then you lose the match. If someone shouts out stuff all the time, oh, you have to come in because it's second service, blah, blah, blah. It's not proper, I think. It's yeah. not the way to yeah, do this. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. To every set, to have a talk, well, I think that, that could work. That would be like as far as I would personally want to go with it, you know. And you mentioned Raducano. It's fun to see her at her best. I, I do know the, the, the hype train and the UK obsession of, of sporting heroes. And I'm impressed if she can keep going, get going again now that the balls and the courts are faster. I'm really impressed by her uh, mental stability. But I do believe that, like you say, a coach is very important. Like having a steady coach especially when you're young you need like a steady guy girl whatever to to make sure you you get the same routines you have a good foundation in your team and and keep changing that it's going to create a lot of uncertainty and it's going to be difficult to deal with all the pressure she has already Tursunov was with her for like five days oh five days <laughs> that's a long yeah. long skin he transformed Sabalenka and then he transformed Kontavite that was a really really good choice i think but mm. then after five days she's just like oh, okay no no that was it yeah it was just a trial which didn't work okay yeah. yeah you can you can say anything in five days right but she's still 19 so she she still has the world to conquer and i and i think it's really great to see that she beat serena and azarenka back to back so i i think that's that's a good thing yeah for sure and i agree and uh i think she can do well in the us open maybe not win it again but she can definitely do well and tersonov is a fun guy i mean i remember 12 years ago he had a blog on the atp tour which was great i think as a vlog or a blog i don't really remember but it was very he's a funny funny dude but i guess it's chemistry with coaches like sometimes you feel like the chemistry is not 100 there my concern with young players uh is that they sometimes want you know not enough pressure they don't want to change something and the new coach will always come in and try to do something because that's what they're paid to do. And sometimes it's not easy for the coach either to, to work with certain players. I don't know how difficult she is or if she's not difficult at all. Uh, but if we we did mention like Zverev in our preamble, uh, he's not playing the US Open anymore, but he struggled a lot to find coaches and uh, doesn't seem to be the most pleasant guy to work with from a coaching point of view, at least if you would talk to Juan Carlos Ferrero, for example, <laughs> it's always chemistry, but also something needs to give from the player. The player needs to be open-minded to, hey, I'm getting a new coach. They will change things. I need to listen to them. You know, the be best example, I think, is Federer. He actually could transform his game uh, and uh, because Adberg just went into a scamp and, and you know, it, it just worked. And, and obviously, you know, when a legend like Edberg goes and coaches you, you know, even Federer will listen. And like Djokovic is also a good example, but, but with Djokovic, it was always Marian Vaida. It was no one else who, who had that sort of effect. And I know that now, obviously, Ivanisevic is, is there and, and, you know, he's, he's working with Djoko and all that. But I think that Djokovic just knows what he's doing. I rate him. I think he's, he's one of the goats. You need to give at least a few months to a coach because otherwise you're, you're not going to make it. You know, look, look at like Rafa and, and Moya. That, 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 was, that was just, you know, a miracle made in in heaven that was that was just a match which which uh just worked out well but i think rafa is, is a fairly easy guy to 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 coach to be fair i, I think the, the the thing that is pretty common with the the best players in the world like looking at you know the big three is that they are really open to listen but they also know what they know like they know that okay i know this really well this i do well and uh, they know themselves 
to a T, but they also listen to the people that they, the person they bring in. So even in, in Federer's case, it would kind of looked like a bit odd that he brought in Jubicic, but that's a great team. Like they, they seem to work out really well. I think in Djokovic's case, he's been very smart with knowing this coach on the side of Vida will bring me some extra power on the serve will help me with my defense on certain shots. You know, Agassi will help me take the ball earlier. For example, he is bringing in the coach to help him with a certain element of his game that he knows he needs. Yes. And that requires a lot of effort and thinking from him also, you know, maybe in collaboration with his, you know, Vida or, or someone. But I think these three guys are the best because they, they know themselves. They are open-minded to listen and they work well with the coaches. You know, if you see players that have a coach for two weeks and then they just it's a sign that something is a bit off i think it's it's just very strange to hire someone obviously they don't just call them and say hey you're hired they have meetings and they talk and yeah. they do something and then you see that after a few weeks it doesn't work out it, it's what's up you know that you give it a chance you know give it a try obviously it's a better tournament if the best players play so i hope he gets to play but yeah it's going to be tough for him to come in completely although i mean he can probably do it but it's still tough to come in without any proper matches in before the tournament yeah, and e even even on on you know on on the hard courts of of the us uh they they are they act differently i think he's he's the best hardcore player ever i yeah, I, I think i think how he moves uh, how he understands his buddy like his flexibility i think it, it lets him literally be even the best of of the guys in a way it would be good to see what he can do, although you know what, I think Rafa has a chance. I really do think Rafa, even with with Djokovic in 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 the draw, I think Rafa still has a chance. That's interesting. I was we'll see if that yeah, it would be a, a miracle in itself. You with you mentioned in your notes, which I thought was also interesting about Nick Curious and and uh, pulling off a miracle because I mean that would be a miracle if he wins a slam, especially considering that he seems to be tired now. But he showed that he's it's possible in Wimbledon. I think he showed that it's possible, but. The level of energy he has might really affect his chances, I think, because he needs his energy. He needs positive energy. But overall, I think positive vibes is something he's brought decently to his game this year, which has been quite rare in, in other years. So there was, a, there was an interesting idea. Our um, club pro said it. He's the head coach of, of the club where I'm playing here in Bristol. And he said that, you know, he had the easiest of draws in Wimbledon. So if, if you look at it, only Tsitsipas was the only guy who, who could really give him some pain. But all the other guys were, were I mean, he had to beat them. And, and he was still like struggling against like Paul Job and, and, you know, Nakashima, who are, you know, don't get me wrong. They're great tennis players, but not top tenors, not top 15. So I think this, this final is a bit in sort of like these exclamation marks. The first guy who actually gave him a proper match was Djokovic. And I think Djokovic just, just took him apart. Like, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't playing well. I don't think Nick played well in the final. I see Nick as, as, as an unbelievable talent, but you know, when, when the going gets tough, he will find the reason not to play well or not not to not to do everything he can which is which is a shame but i i hope that next year he will have an even better preseason and maybe he can actually go there in and down under and, and and try to win it everything seems possible it also seems possible that he decides to quit next year and be a father or something so who knows with him yeah <laughs> it, it seems that it's it's always 
depending on his mood. I mean, he's, he's a moody guy. Maybe there's some ADHD or something going on. Yeah, he needs to kind of battle his emotions. But this year is the best one he's done so far. He's had his meltdowns, but he, but comparatively, it's been very good. And when he's playing well, he's super exciting to watch. That serve, that forehand, you know, everything is, is coming together. He has great touch, super talent. But obviously, tennis is such a mental sport. And that's shown, really. It doesn't matter. You have, might have the best hands in the world, but if you don't have the mind game for it, it's going to be tough to win the biggest titles. You know, you might win a 500 or even a Masters, but then to win a Slam, that requires something completely different with the five-set format and everything. All right, so that kind of boils down then to the the predictions. And I'm going to give the difficult question to you. You have to pick a winner on the men's and the women's side. Ooh, okay. Um, if Djokovic plays, uh, I would go with Djokovic. My heart tells me Nadal. I've heard predictions uh, from left, right, and center, and, and they were saying that it's it's really up for grabs. I just don't think so. I think it's either Nadal or Medvedev. Alcaraz might get there, but if I have to name one person who I will stand next to, uh, that will be Nadal. Women's, hmm. Now that's that's a, that's a lot harder. You know what? I'll I'll just go safe. I'll, I'll go Shiontek. I think I think she will she will find her game and 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 she will do it. I don't really see Naomi Osaka. I think Raducanu will will lose in the third third or fourth round. Yes, Serena. I hope she she wins a few, but I don't really see it happening. She just doesn't move around the court that well anymore unfortunately so i'll i'll just go with sean tech what do you think yeah so the men's side is tough like i i mean if djokovic plays i i mean keen to pick him as the the favorite i completely get you what you mean with the rafa i'm also a rafa fan but uh you know novak should be maybe the main favorite if he plays but on the other hand no matches different courts in the u.s not as much of his uh style as in the australian open so I, I would go with Medvedev. I think he might defend the title. I think it's it's possible in this case. I, I, that's my prediction. It would be fun to see something completely surprising. I, I think it's possible, but but we'll see. But that Medvedev is is a guess. On the other hand, it was not super good for his chances, maybe to have lost to Sitsipas in uh, this tournament because that's that's a, a hate matchup <laughs> that that you he would want to win. But yeah, I still think five sets he can he can do it. Women's side is tough. Uh, I thought about that. Uh, I, I also think Raducano goes a few rounds. I think Serena might lose first round. Sadly, her movement is is a bit uh, not good enough. I mean, she needed more time probably before this this stretch of tournaments. Maybe she wins one round. Uh, maybe Halep is something I could see winning the tournament. That's a little bit uh, possible. I think she has the experience and she seems to be in a good mindset to play. Um, I also agree that Shronte can be a threat. Uh, maybe Onsjebor possibly, but I would say Halep on the hard courts in the US. I, I, that's my guess. I don't see Osaka doing anything. I, she seems to be mentally doing better, at least based on what she said on social media, but not in the best mental state to win tennis matches. Maybe you, you need to be a bit fucked yeah. up to win tennis matches. We'll see if there's any interesting upsets from young guys like Shelton or Brooksby can go far, but yeah, the winner's circle, I think, is is pretty small when it comes to these Grand Slams still. Even Alcaraz, I don't see winning the US Open. Yeah, I mean, the only thing which which I also wanted to talk about is um, is the Hungarians, and and it might be quite interesting. Fucevic is now playing Winston Salem. He lost yesterday to uh, 
to Kubler in the final round of qualifying, but he got on the main draw as a lucky loser, which is just so sad to see that now he's 95th in the rankings. Because of the, the ranking situation of, of Wimbledon, there wasn't any tournaments where he could actually uh, somehow gain some points. So now now he's he's on the main draw of, of the US, but just don't really see him. But there's another interesting Hungarian chap called um, Zsombor Piros, who's... Um, who's 140 or something like that, 145 in rankings, and he's qualifying. Could be, if, if he gets his, his stuff right, he could be a next Eminor. So he's, he's a fairly interesting chap, and, and you know, I'm, I'm obviously rooting for my guys. And, and uh, yeah, how's, how's the Swedish uh, contention going? <laughs> There's no, not much to say there. No, no comment should be the, the comment. I, I mean, the, Michael Umer has been doing okay. I think he reached the semifinal pretty recently. But in being a threat in any Grand Slam, no, not not really anything. I mean, it's uh, I'm not the most patriotic guy about the tennis in Sweden. Sadly, I mean, it's been pretty mismanaged for several decades now. Maybe since we had the best players, and then then we we've not really pushed tennis. Now Sweden is all puddle crazy, so it's all about puddle, puddle, puddle. So <laughs> it's not much yeah. to think about in Swedish tennis. Sadly, I've just heard that one of the biggest indoor uh, paddle uh, court is in is in Sweden. Is in Stockholm. I yeah, think, yeah. No, there. no. They've they've gone. Uh, they bought in the whole uh, hook line and sinker with the whole puddle bug. So there are courts everywhere, pretty much. Like where you used to be, like a shopping mall, or used to be this. There's a tennis uh, or puddle court. I, I wish there was tennis courts, but in my hometown, <laughs> for example, which is like the fifth or sixth city size wise in Sweden, we have like six indoor hard courts for the whole city, which is 150,000, wow. and there are. I can't even count the number of puddle courts. It's a weird situation in Sweden with with tennis at the moment. So we'll, hopefully it will will come back. Tennis is a strong sport, but but puddle is is taking over a bit over there. So I guess that covers the U.S. Open. We'll see how how they they all do. It will be exciting once we get going. Obviously, tennis nerd has kind of a gear vibe to it, so we can get into gear. You're a bit of a gearhead yourself. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm 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 playing with uh, with a racket which no one else uses in the UK. There's actually quite a few guys in Hungary who use my my setup, uh, which is quite interesting because I use a Beast 98, Prince Beast 98. I had a a short stint with uh, a Phantom 100X, which is like butter it's a beautiful racket and they're really really close to pro stocks to be fair in terms of like how they're made and there's war on in it and and all that but now i'm 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 back to the beast because i just somehow lost i i had the yips i don't know if you have ever had that in tennis but i didn't know how to swing the racket it was absolutely ridiculous we've all had that yeah with a feeling of <laughs> I think it doesn't last that long, but sometimes I think I remember, you know, the forehand going in the middle of a match or something. It's just like, I can't, I don't know how to swing it. You know, you get, I guess it's, it's some kind of nerves and tension and then it just plays tricks on your brain and then it all falls apart, but you got it back in the end. It was a short stint. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, the the beast is is uh, my go-to racket. I I used this frame for like three years now. Before that, I was Babola. I was I was using a pure strike. I, I tweaked with it a bit because um, I I have a leather grip. And before that, I was pure drive. I was I was pure drive and pure drive Rodic, which which is now the pure drive tour. That's where our connection is because you you were soft drive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I I used to play with the, the soft drive. It's, a, it's still a great stick with the with the fibers, the glass fibers, which creates a nice a nice feel to it in in the frame. That's that's a little bit softer than 
than the pure drives you mentioned. But obviously, those are easier to use than, than what you talk about with the Beast or the, even the, the Phantom. Although better for your arm, of course. So that's nice. The Beast is a very good racket. So I, I really think you made a good choice there. I, I still see some players use the Beast 100 or Beast 98. But you don't see them a lot in, in the UK, the, the Prince brand. Yeah, not really. Because um, I think I think what it is is that, you know, the... It, like obviously now that tennis warehouse bought it and and they're doing all the distribution in the states and the hydrogen connection is pretty interesting and i i know you tested a few of those um uh of those frames and and they were the tour and and i'm and i'm actually quite excited about the uh the prince tours the new 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 range but i haven't had a chance to to try them yet but yeah it, hydrogen is 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 actually quite an interesting connection <clears throat> what we wanted to talk about is, is shoes you do notice some shoe changes on the tour i don't know i mean i'm not as well versed in in shoes i don't look at them as much when i study pro players or see the rackets or or see someone change the cosmetic of a racket or playing with a blacked out frame or something like that but you do see like certain players trying the barricades for example dominic team posted testing the new barricades shoes that I can see a, a user group for um, although they don't they don't fit me 100%. Obviously, I'm a older guy with knee problems, so I need to think of the the comfort. We did talk before about the the vapors, like so many players longing for these vapor tour nines and 9.5s and even the X before they were went to vapor pros I was a huge fan of the vapor nines 9.5s. You could even use them for um, walking around the city, but now. Uh, it's a little bit of a different fee. I'm not such a big fan of the Vapor Pros, although I use them to the gym, but it's not my tennis court favorite. What shoes do you use? So I, I've got Lacoste, but I'm, I'm a Lacoste freak uh, myself. But to be fair, they, they built up a brilliant tennis shoe. So now, um, you know, obviously we're talking about the AGLT21, which Medvedev uses. He was using Vapors, actually. They just built up a shoe for him. And, and to be fair, it is really, really working well. I know Kudla, Dennis Kudla uses it. And surprisingly, Venus Williams came out with these shoes, uh, the women's version. It's a really stable shoe, which, which it gives a lot of breathability. And also it's, it's a really, really nice, comfortable, light, but still fairly sturdy shoes and and yeah what what you mentioned and and, and i wanted to just talk about the vapors myself a little bit because i i use the 9.5 i use the the vapor pros and and i use the um the x as well which uh which was just only seen as endorsement by Shapovalov. and there was this interesting article on racket.com about the vapors that uh, there should be a petition to to, to get Nike to to bring them back because you see Dimitrov, you see Shapovalov, you see Serena. They all use the old version. I wanted to mention Sepp Korda. He switched from Adidas to um, to Nike. I don't know if you've seen it this week. In no, Cincinnati. I didn't see that. What what Nike shoes are is he using? So he's using the Vapor Pros. Okay, but but he was he was using I think he was using the Ubersonics. So he was one of the guys who who didn't use the barricades because there's quite a few guys like Simon uses the uh, the Ubersonics and obviously they were built for Zverev. But most of the guys like the barricades and anyone can see why they're the most stable shoes, which which are great. You know these guys have such an unbelievable tension on their on their feet when they're moving around. It's just unreal. It's really rare to see during the season, like during like literally halfway through, that someone just switches from one of the biggest brands to the other biggest brand. I didn't watch any of his tennis this uh, past weeks, 
has he switched as an apparel sponsor as well? So he's now with Nike as yeah. apparel. Okay. Yeah. All right. That makes sense. Sometimes like when contracts expire, obviously they or they get a new agent, usually in some conjunction, they, the agent wants to fish for more money for himself or herself. So they they go in search of, of sponsor contracts, obviously more lucrative ones. And, and Corda is doing good things on the court, is improving every year, it seems like. This past few months, maybe not his best, but he was doing really well in the beginning of the year. What do you what do you think of his game? What what do you think he can achieve? Because there's there's so much, so much about Corda and 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 I I just don't know where to place him. No, he's, he's one of those guys that uh, it's a good way of phrasing it. It's hard to place. You don't know exactly what his position is in the tennis world. He has a very strong, flat game compared to a lot of other very spin-oriented players. He has the height, obviously, good serve. He should be a threat to uh, titles later on. Depends on really if he puts everything together. In this kind of level they are, I think it's a lot about the mental strength they have can they win these tough matches or or like can they win those important points when it's really down to the wire and yeah we'll see i mean his father was a very good player obviously he should have a bright future but he's still like if you look at guys like alcaraz even sinner i mean they shine much brighter in terms of like their potential i think than than this guy he seems a bit more top 10 top 15 material to me but you know you could i could be completely wrong but that's just a feeling i have no, he has a really, really clean game, and and he moves well. You know, you see all these all these guys like Medvedev, Zverev, Tsitsipas, uh, who who are like six four, and they just move around the court brilliantly. It's just a strange one because if 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 you look at like Sinner or Akras, they're around six two, six one, and that seems to be the best height for tennis. Because if if you look the the goats, the the three, obviously Nadal and Federer, they're one eight five, six one. And and Djokovic is six two, and Murray is six two, six two and a half, I think. Uh, so they they're one eight eight, one eight nine, and that seems to be the best height for for tennis. And and you look at these guys like Tsitsipas and Zverev, and and they they are just unbelievable how they move around. And I think it's the evolution of the tennis player is that they're so much more physically strong, even though they're lean. Like if you look at the body mass index of Zverev, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, you know, they're stronger than you'd think. And they move exceptionally well for such tall people in general. Like it's before you would see a guy like this, you would say, hey, he has a good serve, but when he needs to move around, he has no chance. But now these guys can play well on clay. They can do damage on any surface. They can play any style of tennis. And then you start thinking like the the shorter guys, how can they keep up? Like is, is tennis becoming like NBA? You know, you can't be too short because then you're you're done. You know, there's no chance of, of compensating for the height. So that would be a slight concern. I mean, obviously being a slightly shorter guy than these guys, obviously it's my level. You don't have to worry about that. But I want part of tennis that I think is very important and makes more fun is that you change surfaces, you change the balls, you change... The different styles of players. One player is very good on grass, then on the clay court he's useless, etc. You know, so that's the fun part of tennis. That's all these contrasts that the season moves. Then you have a different type of of tennis being played on clay, and then you go to the grass. It's completely different. That's the the good part. You don't want tennis to be these kind of baseline machines that are all two meters tall 
and that just hit missiles, you know, that would be a worry. But hopefully we're not going to get there ever. But I, I don't know. Which, which is also an interesting topic because uh, I, I wanted to talk about Cressy and, and how exciting he is that, that he's actually playing uh, servant volley, which is great to see. And, and I wanted to ask on, on what you think about his racket. You reckon that the, the pure arrow is, is a good choice for him? It seems to work. I think, um, you know, it's not the obvious choice for a servant volley player. I mean, you think like, oh, you need more precision on the volleys, especially. Uh, but being this tall, uh, maybe the racket even looks smaller in his hands. So the hundreds range that could look weird in, in the hands of a feather even, you know, looks like like a table tennis bat, like in Cressy's hands. And I think he just seems to gel really well with the feel of that frame and on serve, the, especially the 2016 version that he uses is a big serving weapon uh, i don't know if he uses an extended version i would make sense a lot of big service like john isner uh, they use extended frames so that's possible that he's using the plus i don't know for sure but it seems to work i mean it's not the most logical choice for rackets nerds and specialists but you know whatever works for you that's really what what matters and, and he seems to be doing the right thing I, I also love to watch him he's a very nice guy i met him briefly in, in stuttgart and he seems to have this mindset, you know, he reads his journal, he has these notes, and he, he seems to really take the mental part super seriously. And you see the, how much that matters. Like, if you can yeah. tweak your mental strength to play well and to really go for your style the way he does, it's very inspiring that you can you can definitely bring the results. And he, he was a mediocre college player, from what I've heard. And then he's just turned this around to a mega strength and now he can beat anyone pretty much like we always said a good serving day he can beat anyone pretty much and it's not just to serve he has very good volleys like very good reading of the points very good understanding of when he needs to come in and so on so exciting player i mean more players like him i mean any kind of um, contrasts or different styles the better i think the the more we have variety in tennis the better for the game Absolutely. I cannot agree more. That, that is literally the best um, ending sentence what you can put at the end <laughs> of a podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that that uh, brings tennis to to its um, best light. Didn't get to all the notes on your, your um, sheet that you prepared, which was very good. Nori switched to the Hypercord Express, to the Ultra Shot. I had no idea about this. I do like both of these shoes, but I, I do love the Ultra Shot the most. Sometimes the pros use shoes that look like they're stitched like like with rackets you know they're painted to look one way but they're actually something else that also happens in shoes but if you have a trained eye and if you zoom in you will see that the shape of the shoe is is different than the the, the cosmetic of the shoe and i know that tt pass and, and team used the sole courts which which had a different upper sole than the yeah so th that's that's usual with the pros yeah yeah exactly they get some special treatment as, as usual i never tried a pro player shoe if i would notice any i mean usually they're they're stronger i generally i would guess that they reinforce them in certain places so they don't break too easily sometimes the yeah. pro also uses something that they like and no not many other people will like so it's good to keep that in mind it's such a personal choice it's it's worth pointing out and i love it that you actually do say that that okay pros are using something recreational players semi-pro players and even the pro players they shouldn't follow that lead they should they should actually find what they like them the most you couldn't believe how many babbler and and wilson rackets we were selling in in london when i used to work there so that was 2011 so federer was still playing with the 90 square inch wilson pro staff and i mean who can use that racket like for for literally for for like an hour no one 
no one could use their racket and we were selling it like it was for free. Now, it shows the magic of, of endorsements and why it's so important for the players to endorse the rackets. In certain cases, like in Novak's case, I was playing with his actual frame yesterday and it's, it's fun to use. It's a 360 swing weight. I did enjoy, I played, played well yesterday, so I was, I was having fun even with that racket, but it gets demanding when you start getting into sets. But then you have like the RF97, which is also very demanding, not quite as, but, but still very demanding. And that's what people actually buy. But when they buy what Novak endorses, they get the Speed Pro, which is a bit easier to use, you know? So it's quite a drastic difference. I can understand also the racket manufacturers that they selling the autograph version of Novak, Mare, even Rafa, it's not usable for 99%. Yeah. Like it's it's not going to be functional for a, for a club player, even if it's advanced, to use a 360 swing weight. It's not really possible in the long run. And that they sold so many RF-97 is just because of the Federer Magic, you know, because it's a good yeah. racket, obviously, and you can play well with it, but it's super demanding. And uh, yeah, yeah pe people almost get pissed off at me when I say that this is the racket I see the most, and it's extremely demanding, and I wouldn't recommend it, but they, they, they almost get pissed off because they want to use it. They, oh, I love this racket, I'm going to use it, but I still think they'd play better if they use a Pure Drive or a Wilson Ultra, whatever, you know. Absolutely. Cannot agree more. Usually during the US Open, you will see maybe some more cosmetics unveiled. I mean, we've seen the, the new Ultra coming out soonish yep. as endorsed by Asarenka and Jorich and, and these players. And we'll see more rackets at the US Open, I'm sure. So that will be fun. And we'll get into that. Yeah, thanks a lot for your time, Dennis. It was great talking to you. I, I really appreciate it. And, uh, and to be fair, I, I really enjoyed it. Have a nice day, man. <laughs> Cheers, Jonas. Take Cheers. care.